Hey everyone, this is Bradley Chalupski, co-founder and editor-in-chief of MerchantFraudJournal.com, and this week we have an absolutely incredible conversation that I had with an ex-fraudster, Alex Hall. Alex worked his way up through the Las Vegas fraud ranks, actually rising pretty high in that world before coming over and becoming what he is today, an independent fraud prevention analyst and consultant. He shared absolutely invaluable information for the community to hear about how that world operates, the information that people in that world care about, how they go about getting it, how they go about sharing it, how they go about exploiting it. Any merchant will gain a ton of actionable advice from listening to this conversation. I'm going to be breaking it up into two parts. In the first part, Alex is going to go through his decision to join the fraud world, what that looked like, how he got involved, and his time in that world. And then in the second part of the conversation, which I'm going to be releasing in a subsequent episode, he talks about his work currently as a fraud prevention specialist and consultant independently for companies. And he shares the ways that he goes into these organizations and helps them to improve their fraud prevention methodologies and how anyone can take what they currently have today and improve it for the future. Absolutely wonderful conversation. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the program, giving us more than an hour of your time sharing it. And I really hope and think that everybody out there listening is going to gain a ton from your insight. So as always, you can get all the latest merchant fraud tips and prevention tricks on merchantfraudjournal.com. Enjoy everyone. Alex, thanks for being on the show, man. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, it's our pleasure. So we have a really, really special guest this week, Alex Hall. Uh, Alex is a former fraudster. So I won't give too much of his life story away, but this is going to be a really awesome episode. He is an absolute wealth of information. So let's start off, Alex, by just introducing yourself and giving your story of how you went from the uh, the dark side to the light side, I guess. Sure. Uh, so for about a decade, I did. I operated as a fraudster. Um, I, I quickly moved through the ranks of, of managing different uh, aspects of the fraud community that's localized here in, uh, in, in where I used to operate, Las Vegas. Um, my network grew and grew and grew, and then it shrunk and shrunk and shrunk because of, you know, liabilities. I didn't want the, the you know, extensive risks that are going on out there. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we progressed or I progressed. I started to author my new methods. Um, and then about, you know, eight years in is whenever we found out that, uh, that my wife and I were pregnant. So she told me that in order to be a father, it's time to turn my life around. Um, which I did turn myself in. I'm about six months away from expiring, uh, my probation. And, um, yeah. So in 2018, I came over to the fraud prevention industry and my first year, um, I mitigated and further prevented about 1.2 million in losses and then uh, that were due to fraud. Uh, and since then, COVID hit. I started dispute defense and uh, here we are. So I have so many questions. I'm going to see how long you're willing to sit here and talk with me because I we spoke a little bit before this, which I usually don't do, but just absolutely fascinating stuff. So I guess let's start at the beginning. I'm really curious to hear how you get into fraud and specifically e-commerce fraud because it it takes a certain 
level of sophistication and knowledge to get into this. It's not petty theft. It's not other things that other people might be doing. And so I'm curious what led you down that path, even right from the beginning, that this is what I want to go after with my time. Sure. So uh, when I first got introduced to the idea of fraud, it was through the gateway of drugs. We we were partying out here. Um, maybe not. Maybe we didn't have enough money to get our next uh, bag. So, you know, a lot of people would, would introduce the concept of just running fraud. So at that point, you get introduced to the very basic level things like going on the dark web, buying stolen information, reading the instructions there uh, and how to employ it where you want to employ it online, uh, things like that. And um that was really where it began for me. Uh, you mentioned the sophisticated setup and it really, they've made it really simple for, for you to have access to the dark web. It only takes about 20 seconds to install a dark web browser um, and get access to all those dark web communities. So that, and then in conjunction with uh, the equipment that you might need to purchase in order to utilize track data, um, you're pretty much set up and track data is only used for in-store purchases anyway. But um it's pretty. It's it's become a lot a lot easier to get to get uh, set up to do those that level of fraud. So it sounds like, right off the bat, you were able to really get up and running, without any kind of prior knowledge of what you were doing. All that information is just available to you online. Yeah, and that actually fed to the to the reason that actually fed my my want to move up and author my own methods because it was so simple for me to get involved in it and get and dive deep into it that I, I saw it as being some low level worthless, whatever. And that since everyone was doing it, there was a high risk. So I quickly sought to get out of that and move up to authoring my new methods, my own methods and, uh, and working out my own, yeah, my own methods really is what it was. So I want you to take me through that progression where you start off. I assume you, you have to at least begin at, at that initial low level stage where you're taking what other people are giving you and you're deploying it on your own volition, so to speak. Take me through that process for you once you got all the information and how did you put it into play and how did your thinking evolve over time as you were doing that to say, I'm actually going to go and do my own thing because also that to me signals that you already at that point had a certain level of expertise that you felt confident that you could innovate. So let's start at the, let's start at the beginning where you're, you're doing what other people are doing and what that looks like. So when you go onto the dark web or if you have someone locally who's figured out some, some what we called hustles or licks, someone who's figured out a couple of methods, um, they typically tell you what works, what's required, and where to use it. Well, with that information, you can see where the variables are. So you start to learn uh, the security methods or the security features that are on cards, the security features that are on checks, the security features that go into an online checkout and, and stuff like that. You start to see how they can vary. So you start seeing, for example, if you go on the dark web and you're told that you have to use a, a VPN with the SOX configuration and you have to use a, a card that's registered within five miles of the zip code that you intend to ship it, ship it to. Um, and then you have to have the CVV matching, all those instructions that go with the dark web instructions. You start to see how those can vary. And then so when you start looking at all these different instructions, you're like, okay, well, this one only requires that I'm five miles away or 500 miles uh, radius of the shipping address. This one requires that I'm in the same zip code absolutely with my IP address. So 
when you start to see that there's this big wide variance, you start to realize that not every security system is built the same. So then that's what built, that's what led me to start getting really in depth uh, knowledge regarding how to manipulate security features, checkout systems, and how to find the weak ones so that I can I can make repeatable uh, methods and then of course sell those or, or or do that for other people or whatever it may be. So that's what it, that's how I graduated from just entry level, do as I'm told uh, on the dark web to I can find my own and start doing my own thing. Um, so that's how that that happened. And how long was that ramp up period from when you said I'm going to do this to when you said I'm going to start branching out? Hmm. Probably six months. Wow. I've, I've, I would say that I've only put in probably a hundred or so. That's probably stretching it. A hundred or so transactions by utilizing uh, the dark web. Wow. So take me through, if you will, that first time that you do this, are you scared? Are you excited? Are you indifferent? Are you thinking it's not going to work? Are you worried someone's going to break your door down the next day? What what What's going through your mind at that first transaction that you're doing fraudulently? So the first transaction is scary because you don't know uh, what you don't know, which means you don't know how things can go wrong and you don't know who is who's who's looking for you whenever you mess up like for example i thought that when you put in a transaction that's determined as fraud um essentially they reported that to the cops i thought that was just that's where it went that's you know, what i, I didn't thought know. too if i didn't work in the industry for sure that's why i asked if you were afraid someone's going to show up at your door the next day exactly right and so that that was always a fear and then you realize over time or i'm sorry so <clears throat> There's that fear that someone's going to come kick down your door because of some bad attempts where you use someone's information, the merchant stopped it, and they sent the information off to the cops, now they're going to kick in your door. So there's that fear. <clears throat> then there's the fear that it just will never work, right? Which is a small fear, but it's like, okay, this is just never going to work. Or there's the fear that it does work, and after the fact, people are going to be investigating you to come get you. So there's there's a lot of grounds for fear, but... Um, you realize really quickly that those grounds uh, are really unjustified. Um, and that's one thing that I learned coming over to the side of the fence is, I mean, my, the corporation that I worked for was putting through $158,000 worth of attempted fraudulent transactions, not putting them through, but was catching them mm -hmm. right, when I started doing the transaction analyses. Um, we were catching 158000 every couple of months. And stopping them and, and just stopping them. That was it. No one ever knew. And you'd come to find that the shipping address was being used over and over. The names were being used over and over. Phone numbers being used over and over. Email addresses used over and over. It would have been simple enough to just submit this whole portfolio or profile over to the cops and have them investigate. But the reality is that doesn't happen. So a lot of the fears that we had as fraudsters um, wasn't justified. We, we There was really no fear of getting caught unless you get caught in the middle of your action or your setup, like you get caught with the information. So I want to contrast that with something you said a couple of minutes ago, which was that you were growing this network of people and eventually you decided to kind of cut it back a little bit. So I want to go down that line of thinking a little bit. What is it like being in that community 
which I assume is the word that you would use, the people that are doing this. And what is the type of collaboration that goes on? Not even the, we'll get to the third party selling your own unique kind of way of doing it, but I'm talking about the actual community of people who are sharing things with each other, speaking. What is that like? What are those people like? What are you talking about every day? Are you getting up like a day trader, sitting down on your computer? Okay, here's what we're doing today, guys, kind of thing. What what is that? What does that look like? So at least in Las Vegas, with what I'm what I have labeled my operations, there is a heavy uh, co- collaboration between drugs and fraud. It's like the line between the two you you can't even identify. So, um, the way that a the way that you would see this dynamic play out is you would have people who are regularly out on the streets, you know doing bad things, stealing stuff, stealing purses, stealing wallets, breaking into houses, getting, you know, safe boxes coming to us, all this stuff that doesn't really require much know-how, but just has this, this kind of requires the spine and the backbone to go do something, you know, like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So they'll go do that. They'll bring it back to like their, their connection for drugs, like their drug dealer, essentially. And then the drug dealer who doesn't have intimate knowledge of the systems will come to me. Now, that's the way up. That's the way it would go up the chain of command to me, in which case I would separate stuff. I'd say, here's where this is valuable. Here's how you can use this. In the future, when you get something like this, go do this. So you're talking this, about this, credit, cards, like credit card pe- information, like things people are stealing out of people's purses? Is that yes. Okay. Uh, but everything. Checks, cash, cards. Exactly. Uh, you want um, uh, credit applications, mortgage applications. Um, I mean – Anything that has information on it, really. Receipts, this and this and that, uh, whatever you wanted. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the way it comes up. Then the way down is, is you know, you can also order out, <laughs> essentially, order out information. It's like, hey, uh, we're looking for this and this and this. This is a place where you can find it. That's a place where you can find it. For example, breaking into like a like an Ashley furniture, right? Like a furniture store that has in-house applications and stuff like this. Get in there, grab the, go directly to the computer, go directly to the, uh, to the file cabinets, get a couple of them and take off. You're done, right? Just get in, focus, get out. And then with that information, that's enough, that's enough information to operate for a year based on what's in that file cabinet. You do that three or four times throughout the year, you're good. And it, and it, and I'll tell you, it works better in my experience. It works better than getting stuff from these cyber breaks, getting stuff from the online community on the dark web that's selling this profile information because it's not watered down. It's not being sold in five or six different areas. You have the only copy of that application and it's in your hands. So for from a fraudster's perspective, it works out a lot better to utilize these street level guys uh, to get the information that you work with than it is to rely on the dark web. Wow, so, yeah. that's that's really crazy. So it's actually more valuable to steal the data than to steal the product that's in the store. You're just, you're just going right for that data and saying, let me get that and move on. I I had never really thought about, did they still, I have two questions to follow up with there. One, do they still keep, I guess they keep these applications. You're talking about physical paper. They must keep these still in the stores. Are you talking about people that can break in and then hack like a Peter Parker style or something into the cyber command and <laughs> steal or, you know, Tony Stark style and steal the stuff out of the computer or both. Both, both. They'll bring back the computers, bring it back to home base. We'll break into it. 
you know, everyone has access to Linux and typically that's all it takes to get past the, the, the login. So get in there, get the documents, see what's what. And I would say the success rate isn't 100%. So I'm not going to say this is an absolute bulletproof, you know, method, but in my experience, uh, furniture stores, electronic, you know, rental places and, um, uh, rental, rental offices. Those are the places that if you do one of each, you're going to get two, you know, you're going to get two sets of information back to, um, two of them will be successful. So it's called a, a two out of a, a 66% success rate, but that's more than enough to keep you hungry or to keep you busy and fed. So, yeah, no, that's, that's really incredible. So when you're talking about this community, are you collaborating with people in terms of the actual online methodologies or are you just collaborating with people that can get you the raw materials that you need? So that's okay. So that's why my network would expand and then contract is because I thought early on that it would be worth it for me to make a name for myself as a fraudster, as a dark web engineer, as a, as this big bad guy without a face. Right. But I realized that, that only really applies if you have 10,000 pieces of, of work being done and you like, for example, have a, a, a skimmer somewhere or you have uh, uh, someone on the inside who's giving you all the credit card information and you go sell each one of those for five bucks. Uh, that wasn't really that interesting to me. So as my network expanded, I gave different people, you know, kind of list of what I was looking for. But to answer your question about the collaboration, none of my methods were fully collaborated with anybody. Nobody knew every step of what I was doing. There were different people who would do different parts of it, but that's all they knew. Someone would bring the information. Someone would format the information. Someone would open accounts over here. Um, someone would check some information over there, maybe go to SSNDOB to grab some more information. And then I would compile it all and know where to apply it in applications for lines of credit and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, the reason why it contracted was because in the world of drugs, you have a lot of people who are snitching on people. You have a lot of people that are rolling on people, a lot of people who get busted and sell and, and sell out the people above them, right? Mm. So because I would be up above them, you know, I didn't want to be there anymore. So I kind of, you know, separated myself from them. I only spoke to several higher level people. Um and, uh, but yeah, no one knew what my operations were 100%. No one knew how to do what I was doing 100%. And it was at that point that my methods changed. At that point, I'd say a year and a half to two years into my operations, uh, I never touched the dark web again, ever. So I want to get to that, but I, I want to hit on something here that I've asked other people, but never a, a fraudster directly, which is why would you go through all of this? This is so much work. It's so much stress. You're obviously a hyper-intelligent person that can run this type of an organization. You could be doing legitimate entrepreneurship yourself, or you could be working for somebody else if, if you got the right price to do it for them. What, what is keeping? Is it just pure inertia? Is it the thrill? Is it the amount of money? Is it because you feel like a baller in Vegas? Are you getting hooked up at the clubs? What, what is keeping you in this world? I think you just nailed it. Inertia. Uh, that's the best way I've heard it put. You, you're moving forward. Um, every time I take a step back, more people would be looking for me to, to try and work with me. People would try to bring me more information to try and help them. Uh, 
inertia is what it was. That's a great way to put it. That's the first time I've heard that, and I really like it. So, yeah, uh, that's got to be what it is. You just keep going. Now, at the time, drugs did play a factor. You know, if you maintain these relationships, you're, you are you have as much of the drugs that you wanted at the time that, that you could ever need. So that was good. But, um, yeah, it, it was. It was just the fact that we've established this lifestyle. My my, No one had been busted under my umbrella for my entire operation ever none of my methods have ever been busted and resulted in jail time um well none of them have been best busted at all i don't want to get caught up on semantics um yeah i i guess it was just that until the final slap in the face of of being a father and a husband with my you know to my wife um that's what it took to change you know wow. i grew up without a father so my daughter was not going to grow up without a father well that's amazing um and Hats off to you for that, man, for sure. That's that's incredible. Um, so I want to ask you, continuing kind of on this trajectory, so now you've got this whole operation. You're, you're ensconced in this community. You have a name for yourself as much or as little as you want. You have as much or as little work and connects with people that you want. What, what made you say, okay, I'm going to get off that bottom wrong now and i'm going to start outsourcing or what where did you go from there what was your next step what caused you to take that next step take me through that whole that whole process so it's important to to note that at the time i didn't know uh where the top middle or bottom was so at the time when i decided to go figure out what worked for me by myself i didn't know that the dark web was going to be as low hanging as it is, as I now know it is. So at the time I was like, okay, this is new. This is exciting. This is this, but a lot of people are doing this. Let me do more of the same by myself, right? Without, let me do what they do here, but by myself. So, um, by that point I've started as, uh, I started experimenting with different payment methods, different, uh, bank accounts, different, uh, taking advantage of different social engineering, never got into the phishing or the actual cyber criminal activity, like hacking into accounts other than playing around with SQL injection at one point, but that was, that wasn't too fruitful. But, uh, other than that, I, I really just stayed to organic localized practices. And the way you do that is you experiment with different systems. So for example, using what I've termed as math as a payment method, generated numbers, uh, you can sustain an entire lifestyle just using math, generating credit card numbers with Loon's algorithm. So I started to um, experiment with that. Where would that work? Where does it work regularly? Where does it always work? What kind of in industries? Yeah, uh, I want and you, you start to go, having these go lists. into that more for people who don't know exactly what, what you're saying with that methodology. We spoke about this when we first started talking. It absolutely blew my mind. One of those things that when someone tells you, it seems so obvious, but you don't think about it beforehand. Okay. Uh, so Loon's algorithm, um, typically people believe that a credit card number that ends in 0001, they believe that the next credit card that would be issued in that series would be 0002. Well, that's not the case. Um, every card that's issued, whether it's uh, Amex, Visa, MasterCard, Discovered, every card fits what's called Loon's algorithm. It's a, it's a five or six step algorithm that has the check digit a check sum digit at the end and it it's also known as the mod 10 or the modulus 10 and what it does is it makes it it's it's a 
a superficial verification or validation of the number that's associated with the account. So the credit card number has to fit this algorithm in order for it to be a valid one. Well, this may, this means that out of every 9,999 numbers, I think you get about 24, 2,400 valid numbers. So there's a lot less than you would imagine valid between 0000 and 9999. That being said, if you have the first 12 of any card in the world, you can generate 24,000 or 2,400 uh, more of them off the first 12 digits. So now you just have access to all these things, and now you just need to find a place that processes uh, credit card information only using the card number and the expiration date, which that's what I was just getting to. There's plenty of it, plenty of industries. You can completely pay all of your, ba you can pay for all your basic need necessities, basic resources, uh, food, cigarettes, gas, water, car, house, not house, but car, gas, everything can be paid for with generated numbers. And that's, that was the next step in my uh, evolution as a fraudster. Right. What's so terrifying about that for me as your average person is just, you. it's indefensible, right? You, you're not doing anything. You're not... You could have a card that you never use online that you just keep in your wallet and it could still be subjected to this just kind of random math hack. Yep. 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 And that's, that's one thing that I, I, I've several times I've, I've seen advertisements for credit cards saying, Hey, come get our credit card. And it shows the full card number on the, on the advertisement. It's like, what are you doing? So I reached out to these people and I'm like, Hey, are you aware that your entire credit card is, your number's on the advertisement? Like, you should fix that. And they're like, oh, no, it's a dummy card. Yeah, no shit. It's a dummy card, right. But the rest of them aren't. <laughs> so I'm telling you, you should probably not do that anymore. You can show the bin number in your advertisements, I understand. But other than that, don't do not do all that. <laughs> anyway. So so you, so you branch out into this. Um did you go in the realm of trying to set yourself up as your, your own fraud startup? I talked about this with Jimmy from Seon in, in one of the episodes. He was talking about this whole basically startup model that goes on. Did you get involved in that kind of thing? Nope. Um, I've done a few things that would fall under the AML umbrella. Um, but no, I... I at that point I'd seen enough people get busted for drugs. I've seen, I'd heard of enough people getting busted for fraud that I set myself up with three rules, nothing flashy, basic necessities have to be handled and, and, you know, just keep enough cash in your pocket to, to pay your bills and, and do what you need to do at that point, operating with those rules, keeping myself in check, I was able to operate for another six years or so, uh, without consequence. So when it, you're saying you people know, got so, get busted, we were at the beginning where you talk about how, it would be so easy to pass information off and nobody does it. So when you say get busted, take me down that line of thinking as well. What, what do you mean by that? Who's getting busted for what, by whom, why? Cause before we were talking, like it was almost impossible to get busted in the real sense. So it is, it's almost impossible to get busted by your transactions, by your, well, there's a whole big world out there. I'm going to say, based on my experience, it's very unlikely that you're going to get busted for trying transactions at a merchant, period. Unless you're in-store. In-store, the, the, that story is a little bit different. Um, but online, 
you could put through 10, 20, 30 transactions in a single day uh, that are, you know, different lists of variables associated with it. You're not going to get busted for anything. When you get busted, it's because of two reasons, at least, again, in my personal experience. Um, you get busted because someone snitched on you, right? Somebody out there got busted and they're like, oh, well, I know this guy, right? So it never happened in my umbrella um, regarding fraud. I got snitched on for drugs, but um, uh, someone else's operation all the way up the, 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 the chain of command, people were going down left and right, left and right. And it's because people were snitching on them or because they got pulled over and had a trunk full of, of information, right? So that's the two ways you get busted, either being rolled on or snitched on, or um, being caught with the information, with the uh, equipment, with the material, like uh, you know, you know, treated material, like where the credit cards have been scratched off, the the checks have been cleared off, or you have duplicate checks, all the check material, um, Fargo machines, embossers, reader writers, all the equipment. Um, if you get busted with the equipment or if you get snitched on. So I've put real thought to this because now that I'm on this side, I need to be effective on this side. At one point I do, I want my history to be behind me and I want to be known for the results that I can, that I can produce. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I've thought about how I would go about beating myself, how I would go about beating the operations that I knew were successful. And there's too many rabbit holes. There are too many rabbit holes to go down and not all of them will be fruitful. For example, uh, I can tell you that I've established probably, I can guarantee that I was in one way or another directed the establishment of over a thousand bank accounts. Wow. That doesn't mean that I've had a thousand bank account cards in my, that doesn't mean that. That means I tried something. Uh, I tried something, I tried something, I tried something. Some of them were successful, but I couldn't get it to me, you know, and so I just ditched it. You know, that's another thing about being, about weighing your risk, your risk factors. So there's a lot of things that are done fraudulently that, um, at least in my operations, I had a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of trial, trial and error, cat and mouse stuff that I tried. It worked, but I only viewed it from a distance and then tried it over here with a more, you know, a, a laser focused goal and was able to make it pay off over here. I didn't mind failing three or four times in order to succeed uh, repeatedly, repeatedly over here. Uh, so anyway, uh, from a, from a fraud prevention slash law enforcement perspective, you'd be chasing down a lot of stuff to no end. Like you wouldn't win, you wouldn't win. Right. Um, especially with the fact that you, you establish your identity at the point of account creation, you can be anybody. So how do you associate that with someone unless you find them, find like the bank card in their hand, for example, or the credit card in their hand. So there's a lot of dead ends that I would expect law enforcement to reach, which is why I think it, it makes sense for them to only, you know, really, uh, give resources and time to busting people who have all the information parked with them or being busted in the moment. Gotcha. Makes sense. So let's start to bridge the gap here. So you make the decision um, because of your family that you want to move on. You make that top level decision. What does that look like? Where do you, where do you go? How do you say I'm done with this today and I'm going to go on to the other side? How do you start to work your way across the board? 
Hey everyone, that's the end of part one of our conversation with Alex. Hope you found it as compelling as I did. If you want to hear the second part of the conversation where Alex talks about how he takes everything that he learned in the Las Vegas fraud scene and applies it to his work as a fraud prevention specialist today with the companies that he consults with, make sure to check out the second part of the conversation in the next episode. Thanks for listening, everyone.